0: are listening to a geek network interview be sure to hit the follow button to get notified when a new episode is available you can also visit us at geek-network.com for your guide to the geek entertainment news you love created for geeks by geeks and remember to always geek responsibly Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, listeners, wherever you are. Thank you so much for tuning in. I uh, just want to say we have a very awesome and special guest today. We are talking to Josh Rubin, the talented, hilarious, and now Scream King himself. Josh, how are you doing today?
1: I thought you were going to end it with, uh, and now, twisted AF, Josh. <laughs> and that would have been fine, too. I'm very well. How are you, Daniel?
0: <laughs> Not too bad. So today, I really want to dive into your previous career and now how you got into the world of graphic novels and comics.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Sounds great.
0: Awesome. And I always like to start things light before really diving in. So the first question I have for you, um, especially watching after watching your uh, TikToks, as someone who grew up on horror, what genre do you think you'd have the biggest chance of surviving, whether it be a zombie apocalypse, virus outbreak slasher paranormal movie and just to make things a little bit easier for you you do have all your prior uh prior horror movie knowledge with you to help you survive
1: oh man i mean i guess zombie because i probably watched the most zombie stuff and even though like slasher theoretically my you know my my real first foray into watching horror was my sister like letting me watch like friday the 13th on cable uh in her room she was the one lucky one of us who had tv in her bedroom before i did um would probably be zombie stuff because i've seen so much it's like you can use kind of any weapon where it's like you know hulking jason it's like even if you do throw a vase at his head it's like too bad you're gonna get a fishing gaff through your throat (laughs) um I can tell you the one I definitely wouldn't survive a uh, subgenre of horror is, is anything aquatic horror because I'm cripplingly afraid of uh of dark water. Um I do want to for that very reason. I have an aquatic horror idea, but I, I just don't think I can um I just don't think I can quite go there yet. Maybe someday.
0: You know, just watch uh Guillermo that Totals uh... <laughs> shape of water oh, you know yeah yeah oh yeah
1: exactly <laughs> then maybe i'll want to have a romantic relations with my
0: fish yeah nobody wants that
1: <laughs> <laughs> the silence was immense and i really appreciate it uh, sorry
0: yeah. al- allergies are killing me so i had to blow my, my nose out of <laughs> my <myself. laughs> it,
1: it was perfectly uh it was perfectly timed
0: <laughs> and then jackie says he had a panic attack watching underwater last year <laughs>
1: Oh, man, Underwater is so good. It's so <laughs> underrated. Like, yes, I, I I, totally What, like kind of what a lovely twist in a way. <laughs> for, for Those of you who maybe have or haven't seen it. Yeah, I really dug Underwater. I watched it. I watched it twice now. I think it was just really, really deftly done.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And but, yeah, uh, totally get the <laughs> panic attack. <laughs> Everything's just so claustrophobic, you know, water yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah and from comedy to horror uh was that a hard transition for you
1: it wasn't you know because i was a horror lover before i was a comedy lover if you look back to my um you look back at pretty much anything i did even at like college humor um doing sketches that were you know mostly for for the majority about like boobs and beer and video games There was also some like (laughs) genre stuff that we did it was like what are some of the better sketches that i directed um, or the TikToks even that I've made have like a darker bent to them. And I think it's because I loved horror first. So it wasn't a tough transition for me at all. I knew that my, I needed my first movie to really be a horror movie, not only because I loved the genre, but just from a business standpoint, you know, um, I, I knew that the horror community is the most forgiving. You know, most of us horror lovers want to give any horror movie a chance regardless right. of, you know, how schlocky or, or, uh, or otherwise it is um, or appears. And um gosh, you're seeing right up until you know recently, like movies like Terrifier Two de- destroying the way that they are, just as like um, you know, people are chomping at the bit to see the new Ari Astor movie, regardless of whether or not that's traditional horror or not. It's uh, I just knew I had I had to uh to get into to get into the genre that I loved growing up. And also that like weirdly, other comedy folks like Jordan Peel and Zach Craiger and the like are are getting into as well.
0: Right. They're doing a really good job as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm saying I said getting into it, as if they're like just getting started when they're you know, <laughs> clearly destroying box offices.
0: So I just have a little side question, then we can uh, dive back into what the main thing, uh, the main objective of this interview is. Um, with having written so many so many skits for College Humor and directing, mm-hmm. how come uh, you know you never got the opportunity? Because I think you're your writing skills, whether it be horror or comedy, their SNL quality. Did he ever get a chance or how come that never happened?
1: Oh man. Yeah. That was the dream for many years. Um, I've never really gotten into much of my SNL like history or the, the the, the history of it, but I'll give you the kind of brief overlay of it. So I was obsessed with it, obsessed with getting on. I lived in New York for many years. Um, I desperately just wanted to, even just do a showcase. And so mm-hmm. the years that I was a college humor, I bought a seven D camera. It's a DSLR camera that was like super popular back in the day. Um, <laughs> and uh, I did, I had a buddy of mine shoot at least three um, SNL character videos for me, where I did everything from like professor Snape, Alan Rickman at Hogwarts oh, to like awesome. <laughs> Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Robin Williams. And, I had all these characters and original characters and no tape got any response. Everything I sent in, I think one I sent in got a response that was like, he's, he's, it's not goofy enough. It's almost too dark, which is actually kind of funny given what I said about like where (laughs) where my career went, like everything having a, a, a villainous bent or a dark bent to it. And then it's like, as soon as I, as soon as I, put it away and as soon as I gave up and I was just like, whatever, I'm at college humor, um, I'm making commercials, I'm doing okay. Um, they came sniffing around and asked me if I would do a a showcase, if I would, if I would, um if I would do a showcase on stage, which is the the the, basically the first of three steps before you become a cast member if you if you advance, Mm -hmm. you know, those three steps. First (laughs) of which is you know you go to a free showcase they put together in California or New York you're with a bunch of comedians, you do characters, you just stand up or whatever. Um, And it's free to the public and whenever there's scouts in the audience. So I was shooting Jake and Amir. They had a pilot at the time and I was a character in it. The pilot didn't go, but I was having the time of my life. I just gotten, I'd stopped over in California to do that after my friend's wedding. And I knew I had the showcase coming up and I was like, holy shit. Um, I prepped it and I prepped it and I prepped it. I was the, I was the closer. um, I was the last one for an SNL for this SNL showcase, I, I closed the show and I absolutely decimated. I was so good. Killed it, killed it, killed it. Original characters, Jeff Bridges, like you know, Mark Ruffalo impression, you name know, it, everything. So um the next day I get a phone call. Okay, cool. They want you to do the showcase in New York on 8H on the SNL stage. Like, holy shit. So that date is coming up fast. It was in April. I go, they put me in Vanessa Bayer's dressing room. You know, all the cast members are out, so you get to stay. And run your lines in in the dressing room and the rumor is that when you get on stage they're going to do something to fuck with you um so that they see how you handle the pressure of a live performance you can't say sorry you can't go back if something happens live whatever so i'm like oh what's that going to be and so i'm backstage and they're all very nice and they lead me like you know down this dark cavernous hallway past stacks of cue cards this that and the other thing and um This guy's like, okay, cool. So what's going to happen is you're going to go out there. The curtain's going to open. We're going to walk you on the stage. They're going to say five, four, three, two, one. Don't talk until one. And the lights are going to be down. And then wait until the lights go up. And then you start going. Okay, cool. And I was like, wait, okay. So can you run that through me again? He's like, okay, good. And they push me off. I'm like, oh my God, whatever. So I'll just like, whatever, go for it. So they do a countdown and they just say three, two, and then the lights go up on two or something like that. And they said, don't start until the lights go up. And so I didn't hear him say one or whatever. So anyway, <laughs> like they they do something like that. The light comes up on like on two and I just am standing there and it's quiet. And then I'm just like, fuck it. And I just launch into it. But I was so nervous because they were trying to pressure me mm-hmm. just to see how I would do that that like my first impression i can't remember who it was There was this like unhoused character who was like a vampire hunter or something like that (laughs) (laughs) something super bizarre (laughs) and my my voice was so caught in my throat because i was nervous so it took me like one full character to find my footing to find my voice and um i go through my whole set i feel pretty good about it actually hear a giggle in the audience and then like you know um a uh, few weeks later, <laughs> the response was: "We are neither extending nor suspending." Was I think the phrasing of it? Any any of the uh, any of the auditions um, or any of the performers that auditioned, which which basically was like, "We're not going to say yes. We're not going to say no." So if there was an emergency, they could just call you on a whims notice, and you know you'd be sent to New York. But they didn't say you didn't get it. They didn't say you yeah. got it. So it was just like left open ended. So anyway, long story longer. <laughs> that was my experience i got i got to say, like it's a bucket list thing to be able to say i got to do characters on the snl stage and i got a laugh which is something you say you never do and uh, years later i have buddies who've since worked there like now mm-hmm. streeter seidel works at snl i have a buddy paul berganti who directed there and they were like uh we saw your tape you know we can go back and watch archives of tapes and it was really good we're kind of surprised you didn't, <laughs> you didn't get cast but you know, it's, it's too late now, but there was a moment in recent years when I was like, shit, maybe maybe I would have gone back and done it, but uh but I think it's I think I'm I'm too far gone now into movie world.
0: No, that's great though. Uh transitioning to the whole movie world. So Yeah, yeah. And was it difficult to wear multiple hats on, on one project since you did, you know, direct star and write scare me?
1: Um well thank Thanks to college humor and my like film school, it was college humor where I would direct stuff that I would also appear in, or I would act in stuff and self-direct, or I would just write stuff that I would direct or just write stuff or just act in other people's stuff. That that constant collaboration and like matrix of combos of of everything mm-hmm. aforementioned, that prepared me to self-direct. I still talked to, I made sure to get on the phone with someone who'd done it before just mm-hmm. because a movie is way longer than a three-minute sketch. You know, Jim Cummings right. I talked to, and well, he gave me some great advice. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I, I I was like, you know, can I just ask you pick your brain about it in case there's anything? I'm just like, you know, brain farting on. He was just like, just learn your lines <laughs> and be a good person so that you're like a good – you don't have to think about any of the prep crap until – you know, you're, you're, you're fully, fully locked up. But by the time, you know, you call action, it's just you and the actor and you just worry about performing. And he was totally right. It's like, uh, everything was so buttoned up and I was so over prepped by the time it did scare me in my first movie. Mm-hmm. It was just creamy, you know, it was, <laughs> it was super smooth, despite how like rough of a production it was. We had weather issues and all kinds of stuff, but it was uh, because it was well prepped. It I, it was an easy transition for me, for sure.
0: Gotcha. And I mean, you you wrote the script, so you really got to dive into the heads of you know these three characters, four, um, I we can say, uh, from this movie. So w- having gotten to each other heads, was it hard giving yourself self direction while working on this project?
1: It really wasn't. I mean, I uh, my um, uh, my co star would like look at me like i was a psycho because you know i the (laughs) the way that i would i would be talking like like if you're if you're my co-star and you're standing opposite me and i'm self-directing i'd be talking like this and this is my dialogue and i say okay just one second i'm just gonna take that again i'd be talking like this and this is my dialogue beat i'd be talking like this and this is my dialogue i would take it back and i would just do three in a row or whatever you know i almost like a like a robot, because I could I technically knew what I needed for my edit, or I technically knew the sound of my voice that I liked (laughs) enough for this moment, this character, whatever. So it was very almost like, um, technique oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, And that and that helped me, if anything, I probably kind of undercut my own performance, because I was like, Oh, let me just rush through it. So I can focus on Aya, or I can focus on Chris, or Rebecca and gotcha. um, the other cast members but it, it was it was easy that way because I'd done it so much before I think you know some people don't take as well to it I mm-hmm. have a weird imagination and I've been had had a lot of practice and so you know and a shit ton of prep and it was it was okay by the time we got there
0: gotcha okay yeah that's uh, one of the biggest questions I had because again wearing multiple hats but now yeah. uh from writing comedy skits for college humor which we've discussed multiple times already to writing a full-length screenplay did he have any problems transitioning to writing a full-length uh graphic novel
1: oh completely i i um candidly you know my publishers at um at invader comics you know they god they were so lovely but the, the the first project i was gonna i i was sort of hovering over was adapting this vampire idea that i had that I was thinking about doing as a movie and I was like, no, let me try it. as like an ash can, like a preview comic. And it was the most difficult thing for me ever to just keep it simple and think visually. They had, we kept revising it and revising it. My, my sketch, my sort of like sketches or my, my beats were were way too full for what a preview would be for what five to 10 pages would be in a comic book. And I, I weirdly just would hit this, Wall where I couldn't figure out, I just couldn't bridge it for some reason. I'm such a visual filmmaker, and so what I did was I put that project down, and I and I um, I've been talking to my artist Brianna Tippett for some time. I discovered her on Instagram, <laughs> thought her work was so good, so wicked, and gruesome, and charming at the same time. And I was like, look, I have this old screenplay that I never got to make called Darla, and um, I was wondering if like you just gave it a read, if you think there's a graphic novel in there. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. we could maybe we could adapt it. And I handed it to her and she loved it. And so the process was sort of unfair. Um, uh, because she just blazed through the adaptation of hand drawing this movie um and adapting it. And then the process really became like, you know, Invader was like, You gotta take you gotta take out all these text bubbles. There has to be half the amount of dialogue. Um, so we cut about 15 pages from really yeah, in the first version of it, because really not it's really not how you should approach making a graphic novel. Um, I, I did it because I had the story kind of there, um, uh, and it gave me the leg up to kind of get it done. Um, and so I, I re- what I really should have done was think visually about it and apply that visual kind of storytelling to what was already sort of there. So it, was, so it read a bit more like Nick Dernazzo, Beverly, which is a big inspiration for me. Um, uh, one a graphic novel I, I just absolutely love. Um, and you realize it's it's in in proofing and in editing Darla, just the visuals, they're so much more effective than a visual with a giant text bubble, as I'm sure you all know, a giant dialogue bubble, <laughs> what have you. So yeah. you know, and and that's what I loved about comics growing up. everything I love, um for obvious reasons, for the reasons we all love comics, the the images just wash all over you. You feel you feel the story because it's a visual medium, holy. Um, so that was the, the kind of like growing pain culture shock of it all. Um, but now if anything, it has me just so excited thinking about what the <laughs> next, you know, the, the next
0: projects could be. Awesome. Also, I uh, just want to say, uh, congrats on the Kickstarter, by the way. Um, it's getting some traction. I'm really happy to hear that by the
1: way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so, so much.
0: Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, you killed off two of my questions already because um, I couldn't find it anywhere on how you met uh, Brianna. So I was going to ask you, but you just answered it um on Instagram. So how did exactly she pop up on your Instagram fan um I guess feed, or did you research like comic book artists, or how did that happen?
1: No, I think I think it was that Brianna did some really awesome fan art for Scare Me. And really awesome fan art for, art for werewolves uh, within my second movie. And right. so she, she just, her work was so cool. And so when she tagged me in that stuff, I'd share it. And then I'd start looking like back in her archive. And I was like, oh my God, she's got such a spectrum of talent. She can kind of do anything. I mean she can also she sent me storyboard work that she's done and it's like her mm-hmm. she has a style she has an eye but she can also bend to a more sort of formal and um kind of classical i guess you could say or classic style that's a little more kind of reeled in but i love yeah. when you just give like free the wheel and just let her go and do her thing because it's, it's, it's she has such a such a such an eye um so yeah it was all it was all instagram
0: and then uh Jackie does say she is a phen- phenomenal artist and so supportive. So many people through her social yeah. media as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. She she truly is. I also want to say, uh, you know, uh, I tip my hat to her because not trying to spoil the comic in any way or the graphic novel. But uh, you could tell there was something going on in the water. And I was like, that looks like a that looks like a fucking turd in the water. And, <laughs> you know, like uh, that just grossed me. I was like, I would never drink that no matter how old I was. Whatever it is, I I could spot it and I would never drink that. So <laughs> she did a good job representing <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, she really, really did. And th- those like those full pages, you know, what we call spooky pages. That mm-hmm. was that was another thing Invader did. They were like, you know, you need these kind of like chapter breaks in the story that hit at certain moments. And yeah, a full page image of fracked water or of, you know, uh, a spooky ghost or spooky mask company. Or a haunted <laughs> phone or just like character pages. I'm just like, oh my God, of course. Like that's just a it's just a nuance. I never would have, um I never would have applied myself and certainly didn't in our first go. But they know that world and, it, yeah. and it's so, so effective.
0: You know, I, I thought that was actually your uh your idea because the way it was funnily uh so funny worded that I thought it was your <laughs> idea. I was like, oh, this takes me back to reading comics back in the 70s and eighties, because I still have Vintage comics where they put those ads mm-hmm. like mid break. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's like totally, you know, sign up or buy this item from this. And, you know, you just send in your credit yeah. card or like check in check information and boom, you have it, you know, in a couple of days.
1: Well, Brie actually did. I think she, she already had two. She had the haunted phone and the mask.
0: Maybe <laughs> there might be one more.
1: And I thought they were so brilliant. And it was Mike at Mike Perkins at Invader who was like, you need, you know, just like those ads. Like, what about two two political ads? Um, Ooh, uh, yeah. And then just like like three or four just full page images that just like give you a sense of this like twisted, wicked world of things getting worse. Of just like an eerie kind of feeling as you're reading them. You're like, yes, that's amazing.
0: Gotcha. And I mean, this this book is you know commenting on social uh, social everything going on in our uh, daily lives. So. Was that tough for you writing social commentary?
1: Mm, I don't want to say it was, it was, it was, it was no tougher than me writing, um, Scare Me, which, which I was writing angry throughout the height of Me Too, like, you know, just flatly without sounding like some, like, you know, ultra woke bro dude. <laughs> um, it's, it's uh, like Darla is such a reaction to just the, the heartbreak and the mm-hmm. anger I have for like, trump idiots like for the for the <laughs> maga cult i mean that's yeah. just, you know but if you look as far back as like stephen king's the dead zone or even requiem for a dream it's also about like the sickness that we have um, right. uh and the kind of in, in infectious charm these these awful these awful personalities on television have and the media and such and how it kind of brings out the worst of us um Darla is already inherently kind of insidious uh and and her isolation which is just what's so heartbreaking about the character is is what makes yeah. it sort of worse and that's why there is there are these kind of like cultists out there you can call them is because like, they're just so <laughs> fucking lonely and it's just so sad right. so I didn't think about it like oh man I'm writing I'm writing social commentary but it's like the unfortunate thing is like there are irritable small-minded people out there and it's just like god what what's really what's really driving them. You know, I don't want to say that some demon is making them do all the things because there still has to be an inherent kind of like nastiness to them, but it's um, there's something heartbreaking about it too. So I, I looked at it more from the character perspective. This is breaking gotcha. my heart. This isolation really, really hurts people and really drives them kind of mad. Um, but it also boils to the surface, you know, yeah. um, an inherent toxicity that was already there, I hate to say.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Um... And you already mentioned one thing, uh, recommend for a dream. That movie scarred me. This is, I related (laughs) her to, uh, Sarah Goldfarb when, you know, she starts taking diet pills, turns out at speed, she gets addicted, just Mm -hmm. watching the TV constantly. And like that, you know, got to me since that movie already scarred me. So like, I felt a little bit down, but it was a really overall, really good story. And I work, I I put in my two weeks at my day job. So I'll say it out loud. I work for, congratulations. Thank oh, you.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. So dealing with, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, old people, senior citizens, uh, you know, a lot of them try to get into politics and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get into it with you, whether, you know, I lean with you or lean against you. I'm not going to get into it. So and yeah. this, yeah, you know, the story kind of uh, made me empathize a lot more. And just, mm-hmm. yeah, that's another thing that like kind of killed me reading it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm
1: so. <laughs> thank you. I mean, I'm 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 just so because it is sad. You know what I mean? It is sad. It's like I, I think about like I think about folks that you know there were there. I grew up in a small town, not not terribly small in upstate New York, because we were the more liberal of the towns, but there's surrounding towns and in in from where I grew up that are really isolated. And it's like there was a good friend of me was like man if only someone who lived in the mountains could just walk around the West Village for one day, (laughs) there'd be so much more love and understanding. And there's so much fear. And it just makes me so angry because in their kind of toxic little bubble, their imaginations go wild and they have no perspective. And it's just so fucking sad. And there would be so much more like love and understanding if there was more exposure. Um, That's why like the bigger cities are where art procreates and Mm -hmm. branches and thrives and you why know, in these kind of you know um these these rural communities it's it's it can be dangerous it can be right. super loving it can be great it can also be supportive um i i'm from a rural community but it can also be like, there. you know it can also uh it can also manifest some seriously <laughs> scary shit and that's you know that's a piece of what this is about so hopefully it's like a conversation <laughs> starter <laughs> not too much of a downer but you know um yeah. uh I have no, yeah, I I have no idea. I just knew I, I knew I cared about this, this story and, and was excited to see this little, this, this freaky woman on this odyssey.
0: <laughs> and on a journey, she did go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amen. All the way to Raylan's house.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And with having a graphic novel under your belt and truly diving into the comic, uh, comic book world. Do you have any plans for doing anything else? I know you mentioned a uh, a vampire story earlier on? any other plans?
1: yeah, I've got a, a movie I just announced called Green Bank um that uh, we are um I'm doing my producer um Andy Harwitz It was written by um great, a great writer named Aaron harwitz um they're they're bros uh <laughs> And Tatiana Maslany, who plays She-Hulk and the star of Warf Black, she's in it, um, as is Jasmine Savoy Brown from Scream and Yellow Jackets. So we're just um we're just kind of waiting to for everything to fall into place to to make that happen. And um yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff cooking. It's, you know, you have to have many things in the uh many balls in the air when you're in our you're our crazy circus life
0: business. Yeah, it makes sense. And also I do want to bring it up. Uh being a Raimi fan. Uh, do you think you can do a Darkman book by yourself? Well, with talented artists as well.
1: Oh, my God. Absolutely. Maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the compromise. If they don't uh, they don't let me do a movie immediately. Maybe it could be like, hey, what do you think about making
0: this story a comic? And how it goes? That'd be pretty rad. Sorry, I handwrite everything. So I was flipping the page. And the other thing is, how do you do it so well? How are you able to emulate the darkness and monsters we have to constantly battle on a day to day basis?
1: Oh, just in my, like my personal, my personal life.
0: No, well, everybody, we all have our own demons that we have to fight here every day or deal with every day. You did it so well with, you know, I wasn't expecting the ending to scare me. I don't think it's a spoiler anymore, but with what happened in the ending um, and then with the path that Darla follows. So how do you do it so well? How do you fight? How do you write all the monsters we have to fight every day?
1: I think you have to have, uh, for what it's worth, an emotional understanding of who you're writing about. Um, You can't just write cool, which is something I've done for so long. and hit so (laughs) many walls, just like writing gimmick, writing plot, writing cool. Um, You have to you have to be emotionally invested in your character, regardless of how like deplorable they may be to you or to others in the world. Um, So there's got to be empathy there uh, because, um, oh, gosh, it was was it. It was either Stephen King that Mike Flanagan was quoting, or it was Mike Flanagan who said this. I think it was Stephen King or uh, Mike Flanagan quoting Stephen King. He's like, you can't have horror without love. And so um, uh, if if I didn't kind of like love and sort of empathize with Fred, scare me, if I didn't like love and empathize with Darla, there would mm-hmm. be no horror. Um, the horror would not nearly be as effective. You think about like barbarian, you kind of love all these characters, even, even, you know, the, the barbarian itself, um, or what's, you know, theoretically intended to be the barbarian, even though it's kind of like a, um, a, a figurative question or rhetorical question. Um, you have to, you have to be invested in these characters, then, then the story will inform the operatic nature of the, the outcome. You'll, you'll, uh, you will write an awesome conclusion with characters that you, you understand and care about. So I think, I think that's, you know, that's the the long kind of
0: inarticulate answer. Gotcha. No, I love it. And then just two more questions since uh, we're mm-hmm. almost out of time. Uh, so what do you hope your readers and backers get out of the story? How do you want to, how do you want to impact them?
1: I hope that like you were saying, I hope that um, you do feel something whether it's a little a little broken, a little conflicted, a little sad. Um, uh if you if you close the book feeling, then it's a win to me. Hopefully not feeling angry or upset you've gone on this journey with this person, like angry, um, angry that you've empathized maybe with someone who's kind of like deplorable in their own way, but the most important thing is, is like it, that it sticks with you, that it's the the kind of thing you can't stop thinking about. I think about this with like Tar. Like I I didn't like love Todd Field's Tar. I love Todd Field, but I also can't stop thinking about Tar. <laughs> um, it got under my skin, and she wasn't. She, she's no hero. That character is kind of deplorable in her own way, mm-hmm. but she's also broken. And there's also there's also a kind of a heartbreak about Kate Blanchett's character. So if, if you can walk away with that, worst case, feeling like, you know, like that kind of conflict, but that it's sort of under your skin, I think that would be really wonderful.
0: Awesome. And then um, lastly, before we um, dive on how to find your book and how to fund it, it's, uh, last question for you is, if you could give yourself, your younger self, any piece of advice, what would that uh, advice be? Oh, you're
1: doing great. Like, let go <laughs> of fear. Let go of control. Keep keep being weird, keep doing everything. You're on the right track. I didn't, I didn't believe that for a long time when I was, I was young. And really, how come? I think just because I was like an insecure kind of like chubby, weird friend, kid kid with like very few friends. (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) dude, no, all of your, your looks, your weirdness, your funny drawings, your silly stories, like everything is great. Everything is good. Doesn't matter how much you're bullied in school or whatever. Like, it's, it's going to be great. So just like, let it ride, just ride it.
0: And look at you now.
1: <laughs> and look at me now, baby.
0: Yeah. And with that being said, I just want to say, uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You can find geek network at www.geek-network.com at geeks, AZ on all social media and YouTube. And you can find this interview on our website or, Phantom sessions podcast, which is on your available favorite available podcast, podcast program uh my all across the board all my social media handles are super commie daniel and then uh josh where can we uh find you on social media and how can our listeners find your book
1: uh well i'll say if you do fund the book it's really pre-ordering the book um for as little as 10 bucks you get the digital so um get on it you get some limited edition goodies uh You can do so on Kickstarter. Really, you can find it pretty much anywhere. Um, I'm at Josh Rubin at Twitter, where I've returned to the hellscape to promote Darla. Um, (laughs) And also at Josh Rubin um, on Instagram as well. The links in my bio and all that good stuff. As well as Invader Comics.
0: Yeah. Make sure to also uh, give shout outs to your independent comic book companies. And Josh, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Love the book even though I felt a little bit heartbroken. Love the book. So thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend.
1: Thank you so much. I so appreciate that. You
0: too. Have a good night. <laughs> All right, you guys.